All right, all right, all right. Good afternoon, top of the afternoon to ya. This is Jen with Genuinely Lit, and I am with Amy Foreman. How are you today, Amy? I'm awesome. Yay. Well, welcome back for part two of our green lights discussion. I, Amy is um, a health coach, yoga instructor, and Ayurveda badass. And even if you don't know anything about Ayurveda, you're about to. So, um, and she's going to talk to us about 1992 Austin because that's where she graduated from and she is a longhorn for life. Hook em. Hook em. <laughs> So welcome, Amy. Um, how are you today? I'm awesome. Yay. Okay. Well, a little bit of background. So I've known Amy since middle school. And I guess about a year and a half ago, um, I, it was time for me to change my life and my lifestyle. And so I came to her and she was about ready to start a new cleanse. I guess, I guess it was like a three week cleanse, right? That's what it was. The last, it was like a one. reset. Yeah. Like a reset. And so like reset. Yeah. So I did the reset and our group kind of ended up going like continuing and going and we just kept supporting each other along the way and then we did a new group in september and so i've lost 75 pounds and um thank you so um but we talk a lot about the fact that it's not about the number and so we'll talk about that later um but i'm just super excited because it is saint patty's day and we're just doing all things green today so yay um, but so we're going to start talking about, so the, the section of the book, um, part three, dirt roads and auto bonds, uh, starts in July, 1989. And we get an anecdote about basically the marriage between his parents. <laughs> he talks about where basically his parents get into this huge argument with this fist fighting, and then they end up screwing on the floor. <laughs> And that was basically how he said that they loved each other, which is not typically what you would say in a household full of love. Um, but, you know, he starts talking about how, you know, when he's thinking about going to school and he wanted to go to SMU and his dad secretly was trying to talk him into going to UT because it was cheaper. And I guess it still is. Yes. <laughs> Much cheaper than SMU. And I just would not have thought that. But interesting, I guess, because SMU is a private school. Um, <clears throat> and so, but because it was less expensive, um, he ends up deciding to go there, which says a lot about him that he would kind of choose to do that yeah. and not really tell his dad or tell his parents and never did. Never did. I guess until this book, you know, did he say or tell them that, you know, he chose to do that for the money reason. So like, what was your situation? I mean, not your money situation, but like, <laughs> that was kind of awkward transition. Um, but like, you're like, how did you, did you know that you wanted to be a Longhorn or like, what was that like for you? Yeah. I just always knew that UT was where I wanted to be. I'd never even, I'd been to Austin once, um, had never been to UT, but everything that I'd heard about it, I just, it was, yeah, the lifestyle, the diversity, the the um it just sounded like a really fun place to be. Yeah, and and it's it's just funny because his brother actually tells him he says you're going to love it, buddy. It is you're going to down. You can walk into anywhere in your flip-flops, have a seat at a bar and you'll have a cowboy to the right of you, a lesbian to your left, an Indian to the other side and a midget tendon bar. All you got to be is yourself. 
And that sounds about right. Yeah. That's Austin. <laughs> that is Austin. And so at this point in the book, um, you know, we, we definitely see that that Jim and Kay don't really make the best decisions <laughs> like when it comes to their kids. I mean, they just don't, right? Right. I mean, it's just kind of messy. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, it says a lot about a guy, like I said a moment ago, that that's willing to do that. And I've actually told Amy before that her boys remind me a lot of that. They have that sort of that same disposition. I feel like that they would do that. Yeah, I, I totally. Yeah. yeah. My kids, I, I think, would would definitely do that. And and like we were just talking about the idea of choosing respect. Yeah. And like he chooses respect. He chooses to respect his family and his parents. Yeah. And I, um, you know, I, I think with our parents' generation, it was a forced respect. It yeah. was like, you're going to respect me because I'm your parents. And um and now when I think about things like that, like those words of you need to show me some respect, it's, it feels so um, inconsistent with what, what I teach my boys is, which is basically you got to earn it. You yeah. know? And just because I'm your parent doesn't mean that I'm earning your respect. That's so true. And I feel the same way as a teacher. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, like I see a lot of teachers who are like, you will respect me in my classroom. I don't do that. Right. Because Burn I feel it. like it's a, it's a two way street. Yeah, for sure. Um, and interesting. So, you know, he moves to Austin and, you know, he doesn't really talk a lot about like his early years at UT, but he really kind of picks up at his sophomore year. And he talks about how um, he finds this book and it's called the greatest salesman in the world. And it's interesting because a lot of the mantras in the book, um, I mean, they don't necessarily lead him to be a salesman, but in a way, he sells himself. Like he sort of learns in this book, you know, how to sort of sell himself. And you can see that a lot of it. Um, and the book sort of leads him to realize that his first ambition of being a lawyer really wasn't for him because that's why he wanted to go to UT was to be a lawyer. Um, so what did you go to UT to study? I um, went to the College of Communications and studied advertising. Okay. And that's what I wanted. I'd always wanted to do. I wanted to move to New York and work for a bit, big ad agency. Wow. And, um, How times in life has changed. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was it was great. When I when I graduated, I ended up working for a big ad agency in, in Dallas and quickly learned that that was not something that was going to be sustainable for me. It's a... It's an intense lifestyle. So why do you feel like it wasn't like, why did you feel like it was harsh? Um, I just saw the people that were in leadership positions that were living really intense lives, mm -hmm. you know, lots of travel, lots of drinking, mm -hmm. um, lots of you're just flying by the seat of your pants based on what the client wants you to do. And I was already tired of it at what? 25? <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, this isn't going to work. Oh, that's funny. Well, not funny, but well, yeah. yeah. Funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So he changes his degree plan. And so, you know, he was really nervous about telling his dad that he wanted to be an actor. Um, but, you know, he ends up telling his dad and his dad's just like, well, don't suck at it, you know? And so he was kind of shocked to get that from his dad. Um, 
And he actually ends up going into the honors program and he got there slowly based on his GPA, like into the, the acting school. Um, and so he ends up, it's interesting because he ends up actually skipping class to go actually do the work in the field. So while people are, you know, learning about, I'm, I'm doing like air quotes, by the way, I know you can't see me, <laughs> but like, you know, when people are sitting in class learning these, you know, things in a book, he's out actually doing the stuff. And so naturally that didn't go over too well with UT. <laughs> so the dean basically pulls him in and says, listen, uh, attendance is mandatory and you can't do that. Um, and then this is what he does. He basically tells the dean, he says, I'll make a deal with you. Okay, I'll make a deal with you. He says, I'm chasing the science things outside the classroom that the classroom is teaching me to chase. So my deal with you that I'm going to make is that I will come to all the exams and make all the exams, but I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. And the dean didn't answer him. And so he just kind of kept doing it. And didn't, it was kind of one of those things, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm not going to ask for permission. I'm going to beg for forgiveness if I get in trouble. Um, and that's exactly what he did. He ends up getting C's or C's across the board. Mm -hmm. And that's what he, oh yeah, that's what he asked for too. He's like, just give me C's. Because he's like, they don't give a shit in Hollywood if I have an A. <laughs> you know, like. It's genius. They don't really care about that. And they don't. And so, like, it just. I really connected to him as a student. Like when he was talking about like being a student, I guess as a teacher, I really connected to that. Well, and, and Ethan, my 17 year old, he's, he's on the other side of it, right? So yeah. you're, you're coming from a teacher standpoint, teaching high school. Yeah. I've got a high schooler who's constantly going, who works his butt off. Yes. And it's like, why do I have to do this? Because most of this information that I'm learning trigonometry and you know like these classes that yes it makes them more for a more rounded rounded human being but at the end of the day who cares it's so much stress for <laughs> something that you're not going <clears> to <throat> use for the rest of your life absolutely and um and he knows that matthew mcconaughey has figured that out too and 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 i just like i i, I felt that as a teacher because it, it's just it's heart-wrenching to see kids not be excited about the things that, that you're teaching them. And, it, and it's a very like weird place because you're having to create a relationship with these kids, but they're not choosing to be there. Yes. Yeah. It's not a choice. Right. And so then you have all these rules and regulations and people telling you like, you have to do this and you have to, let me teach, yeah. <laughs> let these kids learn, you know, like, yeah. and it just feel like, I just, I, I so connected to what he was saying. I don't know. Um, and it's just, you know, I actually read, I got into a discussion with some ladies recently about like, it's just like, like the dress code at school and like, you know, my coworker, she had on some jeans where the holes were kind of above her knee. And so the rule is you're not supposed to wear jeans with holes above the knee. <laughs> now, exactly. And so Amy's laughing and I'm like, her jeans were below, not below the knee. You can. Oh, I'm, yes. Below the knee. You can at the knee and below, <laughs> but you can't wear the holes above oh, the knees. Ridiculous. It is. And then like, it gets into this whole thing of like, well, girls can't wear this. And like, really? And so, because it, it, it makes boys 
do things. Right. Really? So it's girls' responsibility to dress a certain way so a boy doesn't get, mm, I don't know about that. And it's just all that kind of stuff, right? Like that at the school, like all these kind of roles that I'm just, it just doesn't make sense to me. And it just makes me not want to continue to not want to be a teacher anymore. <laughs> and yeah, so, but he talks about how he doesn't fit in class because all the film students are snooty and they, they're just like, they only appreciate independent film. And, and, um, and so I don't know, like that was just kind of funny when he talks about that too. Um, he's just like a down to earth dude, right? Like he just seems like you, you could totally be friends with him and it not be a thing. Um, okay. So he talks about sixth street. <laughs> I think we all have those stories. Um, and basically how his friends would go to all the popular bars, but he would go to catfish station and catfish station was predominantly a black restaurant bar, I guess. Um, and he would go there and hang out and he was literally like the only white person in there, <laughs> but he loved it. Um, did you remember catfish station? No, when I was out, cause I listened to the book and yeah. when I was listening to it. I was trying to remember it sounded familiar, but I can't remember. I, yeah. I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Okay. Where did you go though? Like what were some of your spots that you would hit up? Um, Shakespeare's was one of our main. Oh, okay. English teacher likes that yep. name. Yep. So what was the, what was the vibe like? It was more like a pub. Oh yeah. And we just got to know the bartenders and they saw us coming in and had our drinks ready for us. Nice. That kind of place. I love it. And, um, you know, that was, that was, there was a lot of live music down yes. in sixth street. And so we did, you know, we would bar hop going into different, mm -hmm. it was just such a different scene, live music scene than it is now because yeah. you could literally just like walk in see who's playing walk out you know now it's buy tickets and and all of the things yeah so. yeah yeah well mine actually happened as an adult <laughs> when i went there a few years ago um me and my cousin were kind of sashing through because my other cousin was it was her bachelorette weekend in san antonio and we went into one bar and literally this dude fell asleep right there at the like right there on the table and he was just <laughs> like literally sleeping and i took pictures <laughs> Oh, Wait, did you eat pizza at the end of the night? Because that's another thing you do on Sixth Street. No, we like didn't. Bars closed, pizza places open, everybody's sitting on the curb eating their pizza. Oh, that's wasted. fun. <laughs> that's fun. No, I did not eat pizza. Maybe I'll have to do that when I go back. Um, okay. Well, so I, so one of the things um, that he does in this book is he has little nuggets of wisdom that he kind of sprinkles throughout. And so one of the, the nuggets that he talks about, actually, it's like the whole page that he talks about tribes. And um, I mentioned, you know, I mentioned the last time about the nuggets, but I thought it was just really cool, you know, that he talks about tribes because, you know, it, it tribe is kind of the foundation of what you're, what you were doing with your business mm -hmm. and where this is heading. And he says on page 100, he says, we want lovers, friends, recruits, soldiers, and affiliations that support who we are. And then a little bit further down, he says, upon closer inspection, which is the upfall of the politically correct culture of today, we learn to measure people on the competence of tier values that we most value. When we do this, the politics of gender, race, and slanderous slang 
take a back seat to the importance of the values we share. And it just gave me chills. And it just, I mean, it just reminded me a lot of you. Like it reminded me a lot of the tribe that we are building. Like it just, that, like just that phrase reminded me of that. Um, and so we're gonna talk a minute about community. And why do you feel like it's important to have? Cause that's like one of the big components that you wanna have as part of your business. So why do you feel like community is the most important part? Um, well, I do one-on-one -on -one health coaching. Um, I do private yoga sessions. I teach yoga classes and I do health coaching groups and they all have value. They're all their own wonderful experience. But um, uh, us as humans, we're, we're made to connect. You know, we we're made to to belong to something mm -hmm. and we're also made to we also have all have a desire to be seen. And so when you combine that desire to be seen with this urge to want to connect, it makes for the perfect opportunity to form a group or a tribe that of like-minded people. Yeah. You know, and when and when you can when you can talk about core value stuff, shared values, um there is there's just that that connection that we all seek. Yes. And he actually so he you know, I talked a second ago about how he um you know, becomes real familiar with Catfish Station. He ends up working there. And he ends up getting a job there and one of the other things he says kind of, you know, what touches on what you said a second ago. And he says, we are not here to tolerate our differences. We are here to accept them. I was like, oh my gosh, again, I just get chills. And he says, we are not here to celebrate our sameness. We are here to salute our distinctions. We are not born into equal circumstances or with equal abilities, but we should have equal opportunity as individuals. We unite in our values, celebrate that. Oh my gosh. Like it just feels, it's amazing. And, um, you know, for me, I, I feel like when you, there's a fine line of being in a tribe where everybody is singing to the choir. And yes. It's like, that to me is, um, boring. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of growth when you find yourself in this tribe where everybody's saying the same thing. So, that's not values that's dogma yeah so when you're when you come to a a, a co connection with people that that have the same values but they're living them differently yes right? absolutely and so they all have different we all have different dreams and goals and interests but the values it's like in a relationship if you have the same values you can be completely different people and still get like still stay together. Yeah. And, um, and I think those communities, those tribes are the best tribes. Yeah. And, um, and you can learn so much from each other. Absolutely. And I, and I have like, and I have, and I, I think I mentioned that I've done two things with Amy and it, it's just everything. What she's saying is exactly what I experienced. And walking in there with my own values, which were different than some of the other, you know, even though we had this common thing that we're doing, but the support that we gave each other and just the uplifting and the community that we developed was just amazing. And the value that was shared was wanting to take care of yourself. Yes. Wanting to do something to take care of yourself. And that looks very different to everybody. Uh-huh. Absolutely. 
so from there, you know, McConaughey, he, he, we, we, we move into where he is introduced to Don Phillips, who is the producer of Dazed and Confused. He was on the Hyatt Rooftop Bar. Did you ever go there? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and so they basically end up getting drunk together. And really what's interesting is that he never really talks to Don Phillips about a job. Um, they just get drunk together. And it wasn't even until after they get kicked out of the bar that he asked McConaughey if he had ever done any acting. So it was like they get drunk together and then he brings it up. Um, and he's like, we'll show up the next morning. And he gives him a script. And the line that he reads is the one that says, that's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older and they stay the same age. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the line. <laughs> and then, so then he kind of goes in and he talks about where he came up with Wooderson. And basically that Wooderson is kind of an incarnation of his brother, Pat. And um, he shows up to the set. Uh, he, well, he ends up going to the set to have Linklater, Richard Linklater, who's the director, um, basically approve his wardrobe. And so he goes to the set to have him approve his wardrobe. <clears throat> but he come to find out they have another spot for him. And he's like, well, can you, do you think you can do this other line? Or you think you can do this other scene? And so he ends up, becoming, you know, actually in, in it more than, than what he had initially thought he was going to be in. Um, and so I, I really like the way he describes the moment and how he's like, he's basically kind of talking himself up for the scene. And he's like, who's my man? I love my car. I love to get high. I love rock and roll. And I love chicks. <laughs> That's what he's thinking. Like it's, and it's just so funny. And then he says, as I put the car into drive and slowly pulled out, I thought to myself, well, I've got three of four and I'm heading to get the fourth. Then I said aloud, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> and that's how I was born. History made. I mean, serious history made. Um, do you remember the movie being filmed or like, no. do you remember any of that at all? I just remember I mean, I barely remember seeing it because of alcohol, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, we all went and saw it together and, and actually Pat and my husband, um, Ethan and Vance, my sons, they, Vance didn't watch it. Ethan, the 17 year old, he and Pat watched it the other night. Ethan <laughs> loves Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. And he was, I asked him afterwards, I was like, what'd you think? He goes, that was one of the top you know, I think he said top five movies. Really? Oh, and I love it. He loved it. Oh, it is a great movie. Yeah. Um, I would say, I don't know if it's in my top five, but it's definitely up there for me. I definitely one I watch more like over, over and over. And you know what he said about it? I said, what did you, he was, I just wish life were like that. And I, it's been a long time since I've seen the movie. So I don't really remember the, it at all, uh -huh. but he said, and at school, it's bunch. It's just clicks against clicks in, in judging. And in this movie, every you can tell like there's different groups, but everybody's just there to like have fun and <laughs> smoke weed and yeah, get drunk. <laughs> right. And, it's, and he said high school's not like that. You're right. Typically. Yeah, you're right. I thought ours wasn't. I don't know what I told him. I said I feel like Trinity wasn't. Um. 
I was, I mean, every high school is going to have clicks, yeah. but I felt like, remember we would go to the field, like big empty fields. Oh yeah. And everybody would be there yeah. and everybody would be From partying. All, all, all sides. Yeah. I yeah. feel like there wasn't a lot of, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I myself, I mean, I had friends in every group. Yeah. Like I didn't really, you know, like I wasn't popular, but I had popular friends and I knew people who were like, I knew Amy, Amy was a cheerleader. <laughs> But and like we, we were, were a soccer player. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like we were in different groups per se, but like we knew each yeah. other. And yeah. so and we were cool with each yeah. other. Like we were, if we would see each other out, yeah. we'd be like, Hey, what's yeah. And so, um, but yeah, I can see where it's more clicky today. Yeah. Because teens are, I mean, just being a teacher, I can see that. Yeah. That's I what mean, I was wondering if you could feel that in, in your high school. I can, I can. Um, so at the end of describing his first real scene, he talks about how honored he is that those three words are still everywhere, which I think that's really cool. Um, and then the other thing that he does that's really cool is that after something really good happens that leads to something good, he says, green light. It's weird. So McConaughey filmed, he filmed Days and Confused for three weeks. And in the middle of that, he got kind of one of the most unexpected phone calls that probably no one wants to get. Um, his dad had died unexpectedly in a rather exuberant way, <laughs> nonetheless. Um, and it's funny because his dad actually literally said, when I'm going out, I'm going to be making love to your mama. And that's exactly what happened <laughs> is he actually died of a heart attack um, having sex with his wife. Um, and so he says, losing my father, like it is for many, was my most seminal rite of passage into manhood. No more safety net, no more, no one above the law and government looking after me anymore. It was time for me to grow up. He says a realization came to him. Um, be less impressed and more involved. Um, and, and so like, obviously, you know, I think death of loved ones can create, you know, lots of revelations and can lead us into, you know, different directions in life. And Amy is no exception to that. Um, because even though her mother passed away in high school, when she was in high school, um, it was actually that, that you said that has kind of led you to this whole lifestyle that you were in. So how did your mom's death impact that? And, and how has that led you to where you're at today? Uh, well, my mom died of breast cancer. And so when I got into, when I got to Austin, it was just because Austin was very, um, lots of um, alternative lifestyles mm -hmm. um, go on there and <laughs> um, Whole Foods, you know, started there. So it was a perfect place to explore um, alternative ways of health. And I, I started, I wanted to find out what causes cancer, how to prevent cancer. And it was all from a very fear-based place because I didn't want to die of cancer like my mom did. Um, but it just, I mean, I've been on that path ever since that's where it started. And I mean, I remember buying books from the internet of like uh, these alternative, um, how to heal cancer books. Mm -hmm. And I, I just actually got rid of a couple of them, but yeah. So, uh, it's, it's been, it's been an awesome journey. And so like, so before you kind of got into that, 
were you kind of eating like the rest of us? <laughs> were you like, oh yeah, doing all the bad things? I was still doing all the bad things. Okay, I, mean, I was learning about all the good things uh -huh. that you should be doing, uh -huh. and I did that for a long time. Lived a double life of like knowing what I should be doing, okay, but not doing it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You mean thinking but not doing? <laughs> oh, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. I because know. Jennifer's really good at that. Well, okay. I, that's a that's definitely a very human thing. Okay. And, um, and so it really didn't, and I, I kind of did that until, um, I had Ethan mm -hmm. and that was, uh, when I was 29 yeah. and that's when things started to turn around for me. And, um, but up to that point, man, I drank, I ate everything, fast foods, snuffers, I mean, cheese fries, all the things. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, I just said, you know, I was kind of joking with Amy, like, more doing and less thinking. And so, like, she and I were, are laughing because, like, we literally have talked about this without me. <laughs> like, uh, because I stay in my head a lot um, and and try to think stuff out a lot instead of doing. And so um, that's what I feel just so inspired about. I mean, not only just working with you, but but just, like, in reading this book and just seeing the fact that, and I think I said in the last episode, it reminds me of Forrest Gump, you know, I mean, not like the intellectual part of it, but just how Forrest Gump, just like somebody just says, well, do you want to go join the army? Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to do it. And then he yes. just experiences this life that is just unmatched. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you say that because um, Vance, my 13 year old, he and I were listening to some of this book together. Uh -huh. And I said, do you see what he does? He says, yes. Mm -hmm. He just keeps saying yes. When, you know, it's very normal to let fear keep you from moving forward or insecurity or expectations. And, you know, he could have said when they offered him that, you know, they were like, well, can you go get in the car and like say these lines? And it was, he wasn't prepared. Yeah. He was like, okay, just give me a second to like collect myself and then I'll do it. Yeah. And I have found with people in my life, the people that are living like these amazing lives, a lot of them that I know say yes. Yeah. They say a lot of yeses to things that are in alignment with what they want to do. They just might be really scared to do them. Yes. Because right? there is a, a there, I mean, we should say no to certain things too, but it's that green light thing. Yeah. Right? And then like, we talked about this when we were snowshoeing the other day about how like, you know, you have to say yes in order to get to the place to get the things that you need in order to get to the next place of your life. And that, people who say yes are still scared. Oh, heck yeah. And so they still deal with that fear, but it's about overcoming that fear. Having the courage to just do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind of back to the book, you know, ultimately Big Jim, you know, obviously he never got to see his son act, um, but he says that it felt kind of serendipitous because um, he says, I felt a certain serendipity in the fact that the end of my dad's life had overlapped with a new beginning in mine on screen and off. And so did you kind of feel, you know, have you kind of felt that, you know, like this whole legacy thing with your mom and, and just, do you feel like you're sort of in that sweet spot of like, even though my mom isn't getting to see this, I'm sort of living this legacy, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Living the life she couldn't live. Mm. Anybody who knows me really well knows that that's, um, I, I, I just never wanted my mom's who, who, who was, she would help 
I feel like that's part of the reason why she's not here is because she, she just wore herself out because she was helping everybody else, everybody but herself. And so I didn't want her death, her life to be in vain. And so I live in memory of her and, and, um, and I think it's, uh, it's important to honor our parents, just whether they're here or not to, you know, to honor their life by, by just trying to be a good human, yeah. you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be in alignment with they, what they think you should be doing, but if you are living in service and you are um, living in alignment with what you want to do, what parent can ask for more? Yeah. True story. <clears throat> okay. So McConaughey packs his bags and you know, he actually, you know, he's going to head out to Hollywood, but he ends up getting a bit part in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot. Um, and, you know, again, you're, you see all these little moments where he's given basically nothing, but he turns it into something. And so he gets this really like no, no, nobody part, essentially, but he asks for the larger part. <laughs> and he literally asks and he simply because the thought occurred to him. Like literally he says, the thought occurred to me. So I just asked, <laughs> like he said, yes, you know, like he literally said yes in his mind, I'm going to ask. Um, and he didn't stay in that thought. He just did, you know, he didn't just stay in the thought he did. Um, and he actually does this again. So he goes on this European motorcycle adventure um, with a couple of guys from the Cole Hauser and Rory Cochran from Days and Confused. Um, <clears throat> but so, well, and the reason that he ends up taking the trip is because he's like so focused on acting and he's like, I need to get an agent. I need to do this. I need to do this. And like his, the producer, Don Phillips is like, dude, you need to chill out. You can't, you can't appear too like needy to these people. And so he's like, you need to just go on a European vacay. <laughs> so that's what he does. And he literally goes on a European motorcycle trip. Um, <clears throat> and forgets all about, forgets all about getting an agent and all of that. Have you ever been on a trip that was just like over the top like that? Where you just. Um, no, but I do have lots of memorable experiences in Europe. And one of, one of my most memorable experiences was the first, my first trip there. And what I remember most is feeling like life is done so differently here in Europe and they do it right. Oh, because, um, you know, in America, everything is bigger is mm. better, right? We're more, more, more big Excess. houses, land, all the things. And in Europe, it's less. It's they don't have the land, first of all. Everybody, a lot of people live in um, you know, apartments and and yet there's gatherings and everybody comes over and they sit closely together and they share some chocolates and some schnapps and, <laughs> and, and you, and you just sit there and talk for hours. Oh, I love that. And, um, and it just, it just, and, and they sit down for a meal. And like, if you go to a restaurant, the first time I went to a restaurant, I sat down, I ordered my food and my wine and I ate it and drank it. And I was like, okay, ready to go. 
waiter nowhere to be found forever because they let they take time to eat mm -hmm. so i was the typical american coming in scarfing down my food and drink and then moving on to the next thing yeah so they just they they experience life differently that sounds amazing it is i'm actually obsessed with going to europe i've never been so i would love to go um and so it's interesting they really didn't have the money to to reserve the bikes and so the owner kind of makes a deal with them and he's like I'll give it, I'll give these bikes to you for the money that you're willing to give me. All you need to do is come back and tell me the story. That was your, an amazing story. That yeah. So that, that's like a good deal. <laughs> and so they did. And he also says that he hadn't thought about work or getting an agent like during that whole time. So he was just living, he was just living his life and doing his thing. And I also feel like that story you know, Vance was like, how does he keep like meeting all of these amazing people? I said, cause he's attracting them. Yeah. He's attracting them. And you talked about what has he got? What does he got? Charisma. Yeah. Yeah. He's got charisma and he, he says yes. And he, you know, people are attracted to people like that. Yeah. You're going to attract good people in your life when you put out good juju. Absolutely. And that kind of takes us into the next section, the art of running downhill. Um, and he actually assures us at the top that his story, you know, <laughs> his story didn't involve sucking dicks for roles. Like he just says it. Okay. He didn't suck a dick for a role. All right. <laughs> just so you know. Um, but he says he's, he ends up signing with William Morris um, agency and that he ends up actually getting boys on the side. Did you ever see that movie with Drew Barrymore? No. It, you know, it maybe I did it. I don't remember. It reminds me a little bit like that part for him reminds me of the Brad Pitt role in Thelma and Louise. Did you ever see Thelma and Louise? A long time ago. Okay. Yeah. So it's just like that, like the good looking guy who's just like the token, yeah. you know, token dude, you know, like that's him in that movie. And then he was in Angels in the Outfield. He had like a small part in that movie too. Um, and I actually forgot he was in that movie. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, so he actually, so he ends up getting some money from these gigs and he ends up taking his brother to Vegas to celebrate. And he point blank, you know, he tells us that he likes to gamble. Like he likes to gamble, he says. And uh, he actually admits to using Machiavellian strategies to help him figure out outcomes, <laughs> um, which basically allowed him to tell, I fucking knew it. Like that was his whole thing. It's like when he would use these, um, these little techniques, he, so just so he could tell, I fucking knew it. Um, but then he goes on to tell the story about how he pretty much took all his money and bet against Dallas in the Bills game. <laughs> and that didn't turn out too well for him. Um, but he uses the anecdote to bring up a valuable lesson that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, that betting is just that it's a bet and there's, it's a gamble. There's no guarantees. There's no inside track of knowing, um, only learning that the, <laughs> and I just put only learning that concept after losing. <laughs> Because you have to lose once to kind of figure that out, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> well, then he kind of brings up the small anecdote about how he rented a bungalow while he was filming boys on the side um, instead of being in a hotel with everybody else. And so you kind of start to feel like, you know, where he's kind of starting to get some of that Hollywood stuff. Like that's kind of an example. I'm not going to go be with these people. I'm going to go do this. And so he kind of starts doing these little things. Um and so 
he, um, when his friend comes for a visit, he kind of instinctively low-key brags about all the things that he's getting, including a maid. And he's like, this maid who presses my jeans. And then his friend says something to the effect of, well, that's cool if you like your jeans pressed. And then he sat and thought, do I? <laughs> like, do I like my jeans pressed? And then he realized, I don't. I don't like my jeans pressed. And um, and so then he, you know, he realizes that he never really asked himself if, you know, he liked all of this Hollywood hoity-toity bullshit. He never really asked himself that. You know, it just started happening in his life. Um <clears throat> but I guess like, you know, if we're sort of following the narrative of his story, you know, he doesn't really take action about like fixing this yet. You know, he kind of still goes on this path for a little bit. Um, and he sort of nurtures that headspace of what he thinks he ought to do rather than questioning whether he wanted to do it or if he should. And so he, he starts taking acting classes, which kind of goes against, you know, that mentality of what he started with back at UT, you know, so but he thought that was what you're supposed to do. You know, like I have to go take classes. I have to learn. And so he ironically kind of goes back to that kind of person he was that he was at UT, you know, trying to get out of the class, but he goes back into the class and then he become. he says, he actually literally says that he becomes really heady and he starts doing all the things like going to auditions, taking classes, but he doesn't land anything. And so he starts to wonder why. And he says, well, I noticed I was more uptight and not taking many risks in the audition as I used to. And so like, what do you think about like following that internal voice? How important do you feel like that is um, in terms of like questioning ourselves and having the courage to turn inward and ask ourselves as why questions? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know how I feel about this. I know how you feel. This is, I, I mean, I think it's everything. I think asking yourself these, um, I think, um, self-reflection and yes. self-study, you know, I teach yoga and, and that's what we teach in yoga. That's what we do. It's not about doing these amazing poses. It's about how do I feel when I'm in this pose? What are my triggers? What are my patterns? When I start to get uncomfortable, do I run? Do I stay? Do I get pissed? You know, all of these things. And, and I also think that, you know, where he was, where he went back to school, I think it's important to do both. I think, you know, you can practice all day long, which is great. But if you're not getting, if you're not being led by a teacher of mm -hmm. some kind, it you kind of can go all over the place. I can see that. Yeah. So um, I think it's, it's finding that sweet spot of, of learning, being in that beginner's mind all the time is really important. And then having, a way to practice it. Yes. Because, you know, we could, <clears throat> I think what usually happens is people learn all this stuff and never put it into practice. Yeah. I, yes, I can see that. Um, and but I guess what I just what I love about him though is like, he is so self-reflective and he's so good at that. He's, he's really good at, you know, when he, he just literally says, he, I wondered why, like, I wondered why that this was happening to me. He says, I noticed I was more uptight and not taking many risks in auditions as I used to. So you have to have that self-awareness. Like you have to be able to be self-aware enough to ask yourself these questions, right? Because if you don't and you can't, how are you going to improve your life, right? How do we improve if we don't ask ourselves those questions? 
And I think anybody who, because I mean, his book came from his how many years of journaling. Yeah. Anybody who maintains a journal for that long, starting that young, is self-reflective. Absolutely. And introspective. Yes. So, <clears throat> well, he ends up deciding to take a risk. And so he gets a small role in the film Scorpion Spring. Never seen it. <laughs> I've never seen that. Um, so he so he ends up taking a completely different approach. This is this this story actually makes me laugh. So he gets a script and he decides to just wing it because <laughs> like, that's kind of what, that's where the magic happened with Days and Confused, right? Like he improvised. And so it was just this really great thing. And so that's what he decides he's going to do in this film. So he's just going to decide, I'm going to go back and try to, you know, I did Wooderson really great like this. So I'm going to try to do it like, just like this. So he, he has to get to know his man. And so, and just be him in the scene. So he actually heads to set with that intention and but he's given some they're called uh sides and basically it's a small version of a script and so he basically shoves that in his pocket but for whatever reason he decides to look at it the last minute and then he sees that he has four pages of dialogue that's a monologue that's in spanish <laughs> i don't know why it's made me laugh and i literally lol'd um and it's just, it's one of those things that's hilarious, but really it offers a great lesson <laughs> because yes, you want to take a risk, but you also have to be prepared, <laughs> you know, and like being prepared is like a huge thing. So, um, <clears throat> well, the, the next big green light for him, you know, comes with a time to kill. And, you know, that's another film yet again, that he was actually supposed to have a completely different part. And he actually auditioned for the Kiefer Sutherland role, um, which is a police officer who's connected to the KKK. But in true McConaughey fashion, he literally asked for the lead. Um, he just asked. And, you know, not going to lie, like, I mean, I've struggled with that my whole life. Like, I fled my mind with reasons why I shouldn't rather than just doing it, you know, like with me. And so, like, that's why I'm just so, like, mesmerized by this. And I want to follow it. I want to do it. Like, I just want to not ask myself all these questions and question like, why, like, is this going to work? Or is this not going to like, that's what my mind gets flooded with a lot. And so that's what I want to get away from. And I feel like just saying yes. And, you know, refusing to say no. And just even the little things, like even if somebody just asked me to go somewhere, like a lot of times I just get in my head about, well, how late are we going to be out? Well, like I start asking myself all these like stupid questions instead of just saying yes. So I don't know. I am going to work on that in my own life. Um, okay. So Joel Schumacher, the director actually tells him that there's no way the studio is ever going to give him the lead <laughs> because basically he's a nobody. Um, and so, but as his green lights would have it, Sandra Bullock ends up joining the cast. And so because she had just come off of that movie while you were sleeping and she had made all this money for that, for, you know, being the lead, um, they, they had their bankable star. And so basically he got the screen test and he gets the role. And there's this really wonderful moment where he shows gratitude and he just like sits there and just like prays and thanks God for, you know, like, for, for his life and like where he's come. And, you know, like I've been on this whole journey with Amy for the last year-ish. And one of the biggest things I've learned about wellness is, you know, it's just like a lot more than exercise and food. 
Um, and a big part of it is the emotions and feelings that we allow to consume our lives. Um, <clears throat> and the last group that, that Amy led was called Rooted Rhythms. And it was actually rooted in Ayurveda. And, um, I've, you know, the whole reason I brought up the gratitude thing is because that's one of the things, right? It's like one of the things that we practiced in our Rooted Rhythms group um, is like we literally, that was one of the things that we practiced is Amy challenged us to find five things that we were grateful for every day. And that's part of the Ayurveda stuff. And so I'm going to give Amy a minute um, to basically talk about what Ayurveda is and um, what, how, how does, so basically talk to us about what is it first? Like, just talk to us about what, what it is. So Ayurveda um, translates into science of life. Okay. And it's been, um, it's a, a, a system of medicine that has been around for thousands of years. Um, came up right around the same time as when Chinese medicine originated, which is oh, wow. most people know it's been around a long time. And um, I was drawn to Ayurveda um, years ago when I first started really diving into um, yoga. This is over 10 years ago um, when I started teaching. And um, as I started learning about it, I felt very overwhelmed because it was so different than the way we live our lives typically here mm -hmm. in the States or the West in general. And, um, and it's different in that it, it's, we're not talking about carbs and protein and fat grams and, um, and, things and hit classes and, you know, cardio. I mean, we're not, it's, it, it's a completely different approach mm -hmm. to wellness and, and, and it gets us, you know, we're talking about this introspection and it really gets us to this, what it tries to teach us is how to listen to our bodies, because I could say that I need, you could ask me, well, how many grams of protein do I need to eat a, a day? And I could say, well, the, the, the USDA guidelines say that you need 50, 65 grams of protein a day. For who? Because yeah. you are completely different than person than I am. So these guidelines are guiding us, but nobody knows, like they don't know us. Yeah. All we know is, is who we are. So it's about connecting nature, nature's elements, listening to our bodies, um, listening to, you know, paying attention to how we're feeling. And then are we eating a lot of the, so if we're feeling heavy and, um, and unmotivated, eating a burger <laughs> is going to make that even worse, right? Yes. Because if you think about what a burger feels like when you eat it, it feels heavy mm -hmm. and it makes you feel unmotivated. Yes. And so one of the things that we did in our rooted rhythms group is that we toyed with, um, what is it? Opposites. Yeah. What is it? The principle of the, the principle of opposites. And so kind of like, that's what she's talking about is you're really kind of tuning in with your body and when you are feeling a certain way and you're feeling that heaviness, that's the last thing that you want to eat. And you want to find something to eat that's light and that's yes. going to lift you up and not keep you in that heavy space. Yeah. And so like Amy, when she was overwhelmed, when she first started, I was overwhelmed when I took a group. 
And it was just so funny because like, I think we were like a week in, right? And I think I, I was like literally crying yeah. because I was so overwhelmed. All, all of a sudden, Jennifer just disappears from the group. And I just like, I was gone for like a week and I just was like, I was so overwhelmed and I was like crying and I was like, I just need you to dub it down for me. And she did. And she did amazing. And, um, and, and I ended up really kind of focusing on that towards the latter part of it. Um, because I just felt like that that's where you find that sweet spot of like really tuning into your body. And it's something like where you are literally like every day. And it's like a part of you. I don't want to say every minute of every day, but a lot of the day. Yeah. And it's, it's noticing your rhythms, noticing nature's rhythms, seasons, connecting to that. And, and you become an observer versus an evaluator. Yeah. Right. So when you're evaluating something, you're judging it, you're picking it apart. You're just, when you're just observing, there's a freedom to it. It's like, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to observe without any expectation of what it should be. I'm going to observe my body without feeling like it should be anything. And then based on that, I can then make some decisions. So yeah. if you're feeling like super, if you're in winter, in the middle of winter where it's cold, windy, you know, and then you're also feeling very like kind of, um, uh, like you, you can't keep your train of thought. You're kind of feeling spacey. Then should you go eat a cold uh, green smoothie? Because that's what that is. That's light. A cold mm. green smoothie would be light and cold. That's more of what you're already feeling. So what you would do is you would make yourself like a really yummy veggie root, like a root based veggie stew. And that would ground you and nourish your mm. body and take some of that light airiness out of it and still nourish, you know, and still bring in the, the quote unquote healthy foods. Yeah. So the food combination situation is that, that, that for me is kind of what was really interesting and what continues to be, you know, super interesting to me about the whole Ayurveda thing. And so like, I mean, you know, because like literally we, you know, even though we're we're sort of in this group, you know, we all kind of approach, you know, all of it differently, but we're all kind of eating the same foods, but we all have different triggers, right? And so then we all have different, we end up coming up with these different rituals that kind of really, you know, make our lives more balanced. Mm -hmm. And the food is just like one piece of that. Yes, thank you for saying that. The food is just like yeah. literally one piece of it. Yeah, but we focus so much on this body. Yeah. Right? On this body. What does it look like? What does it look like? Lose weight. Look, when I have a client say, I want to lose so-and-so amount of weight, I'm like, why? Yeah. Why? And, and uh, you know, some of them say, because I want to, I just want to be a smaller size. Why? Mm -hmm. Why? And, and let me just say this because it gets me all fired up. This whole weight thing T losing weight so that you can feel better in your body so that you can do more things that maybe the extra weight isn't allowing you to do mm -hmm. right on. Yeah. Okay. But when we get into this place of we're not good enough, we're broken. Oh yeah. You know, and I've been which, there, which most people don't even realize they're operating from, mm -hmm. but they are. Yeah. And, you know, because this is how we've been conditioned. And when you think about it, this 
patriarchal view of how we should look. It's mm. come from, it, it's not coming from women. Nope. <laughs> it's coming from men. Nope. And, and, and it's like, lose weight, be skinny. So you can take up less space in the world. Mm -hmm. Shrink yep. for me, yep. be smaller. Think about that. And that's what and not doing. And not even physically either, you know, no, like but physically and, and, you know, in all, in all, at all levels. Yeah. But, but when you're talking about physically, it's like in Ayurveda, fat, the word, the, the, the part of our body that's, that we step, when we study about the part of our body, that's our, the fat part. Mm -hmm. It's also translated into love and beauty. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And we don't do that here, you know, in, no. in the States. No. And Ayurveda is practiced in the States. It's just not, it's just another form of alternative medicine. Yeah. And like, and it's just funny because I'm going to be real. The last two days, <laughs> I'm not eating very good, but I've been sick. And like, Amy and I have this conversation and, and, and she'll tell me, well, how many more? of these meals is it going to take for you to not and it's a, it's a personal decision i mean like you heard her earlier you know when she first started like she had you know you had to continue to make those bad decisions yeah until i just got sick of feeling like shit yeah i'm getting real close <laughs> <laughs> but everybody's journey is different yeah it well and i'm on vacation too but even still like i i, I still shouldn't i mean it, it just made me sick like and, it, and it's not about being on vacation either it's about the fact of how it made me feel honestly yes and it's also mm. we have to come back to how eating has become it, it is a way of celebration, celebration. oh my but gosh we, yes we just we take it overboard so can we be on vacation and just pretty much try to eat the way we typically eat and then celebrate with a meal or two yeah you know but it's like we just completely fall off the path <laughs> and then getting back on, you know, you hear people all the time going, Oh my gosh, I don't like, I just got back from vacay. I don't want to exercise. I don't want to cook because I'm actually looking forward to it by the way. I, well, we're actually starting um, a little incognito group with our first group. And so we're kind of getting back on it. So I'm actually excited that we're awesome. starting. <laughs> That's perfect timing. It really is. Um, okay. So kind of going into, um, you know, when, when a time to kill opens, you know, McConaughey realizes really quick that he's become famous, <laughs> um, because he says that he used to walk down a certain place in LA, nobody would recognize him. But then after time to kill, everybody was like, Bleh. um, and he literally says, what the fuck? I'm famous. He literally says that in the book. Mm -hmm. And it's just so funny because like when he says stuff like that, it's him. Like you literally can hear him saying it by the by. You should listen to this book because as Amy said earlier, she's listening to it and he actually reads the book. So you should definitely listen and read at the same time because I'm an English teacher and I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So people, you know, and they seemingly know him more intimately than you know, he knows himself. I mean, that's just comes with celebrity, right? You know, they're just like, I love your dog name, so-and-so. And they're like, how do you know my dog's name? You know, kind of thing. And so this kind of freaks him out. You know, this whole thing of people knowing personal things about him and them not knowing him or him not knowing them and all that. And so, you know, he kind of loses himself for a minute and he decides that he's going to go on a, a walkabout. <laughs> 
That's what he calls it. He doesn't go back to Australia though, but he goes on a walkabout and he actually goes to New Mexico and he meets this guy named Brother Christian at this monastery. And he, he talks about how he considered becoming a monk um, during that time. And um, and he, so he meets this brother Christian and, and this, you know, he goes there to kind of get answers and, and this guy just doesn't give him any, you know, he doesn't really give him any answers and he just basically sits there and, and listens. And that's the thing that he needed. You know, he needed somebody just to listen to him and not try to fix things and not try to like do all the things that the Hollywood people were doing. Um, and then he talks a bit, a bit about the fact that his mom doesn't handle his fame very well. <laughs> and she actually ends up doing this interview with hard copy and talks to him openly to the press and talks about like his first virginity experience, <laughs> like all this stuff. Um, and it just seemed mama Kay was more interested in fame than her son. And, um, it actually put a strain on their relationship for several years. Um, but he did say that after his career was more established, he says he loosened the reins on the relationship. <laughs> and I know that she actually lives with them now. Do I follow? Do you follow yes. his wife? Yes. I love her. Yes. Love, love her. She is amazing. And the relationships that she has with his mom yes. is really sweet. It so is. They have a great relationship. Yeah. Love Camilla. Um, we're going to talk about Camilla, I think in the next one, I think that's when they meet maybe in the next section. Uh, yeah, I didn't get this far in the book. Oh, you haven't got that far. <laughs> I haven't either, but, um, I think it's in the next section. Um, okay. So, but after a time to kill, he pretty much has the pick of the litter of the roles. And, um, and that he says, that, you know, he talks about how it kind of overwhelmed him and, you know, where he kind of fell into that same pattern of before and he kind of forgot to live. And so, um, <laughs> He literally, so on the advice of a wet dream, like he literally says that in the book, <laughs> he packs his shit up and heads to the Amazon so, because that's what you do, right? You head to the Amazon when you are just struggling with life. And that's what he does. He packs his shit up and heads to the Amazon. Um, and I was super inspired by that. I don't know if I'd want to go to the Amazon, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, so how spontaneous are you? How would you describe your spontaneity? Are you spontaneous Not or no? super spontaneous. Yeah. Uh, like I would love to, to be a little bit more spontaneous. But no, I like to have things. Um, I plan my days. So, uh, and you know, I, I don't consider myself type A, but I like I have friends who say I'm type A. I would say you are. <laughs> and Pat's like, of course you're type A. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I don't know, but, um, so that's probably part of that, that I'm not like super spontaneous. However, yeah. I love surprises. Yeah, you so do. If you, if you surprise me, I'm like, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I'm not so spontaneous either. Yesterday we were spontaneous though. Yeah. You would dot. Yeah. Uh -huh. Cause like we literally went to syrup downtown Denver and we were just like, what are we going to do today? That's awesome. I know. And so, so it fun. felt really good. That's like a little mini walkabout. It sure is <laughs> in downtown Denver. And Lodo is what I heard it's called. Um, okay. So he actually, so he, he goes bike pack, back, bike hiking. He goes backpacking across Western Europe. No, just kidding. That was from friends. <laughs> Did you ever see that episode? No. Okay. We'll talk about that later. Uh, okay. So he goes hiking in the Andes. And he, he like hikes 80 miles to camp and he's sitting there in his tent. He's like grappling with all these demons. 
And he literally strips his clothes of everything of the earth and that he could identify himself by and literally pukes and passes out because he had been, I think he oh, hiked 80 miles. So he literally, he wakes up and then he goes and floats in the Amazon naked. <laughs> and then he says, I had crossed a truth. Did I find it? I don't know. I think it found me. Why? Because I put myself in a place to be found. I put myself in a place to receive it. Like, yeah, that's pretty powerful. It is. And again, it just goes back to just saying yes. It goes back to living and being in that place for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, well, you know, he, he kind of, he heads back to Hollywood and he replenishes to, to you know, after he sort of replenished and he, he takes a supporting role in that movie Contact with Jodie mm-hmm. Foster. Remember that? Um, <clears throat> and, you know, he actually says that like a lot of people kind of gave him grief for it because it wasn't like a leading role, you know, and it was kind of like the, the supporter, you know, chump role. And he said people kind of, you know, gave him shit about it, but he's just like very much a vagabond, you know, he's very much this kind of dude that like he wants to make enough money so he can just go to the next thing and do the next thing in his life. His life is not about acting. And that's the thing. His life is not about acting. His life is not consumed with being an actor. His life is consumed with living life. And it is not about acting. And that's just what makes him so cool. Um, but he so, he so he sort of tricks out his van and he literally makes the United States his home. And so he's still acting. <laughs> but where most actors might, you know, take a plane to Hollywood and meet with the big wigs and all that. Oh, not McConaughey. <laughs> like he's traveling in an RV around the United States. And he would literally go to the airport at the closest town that he was, you know, close to. And he would pick up the person that was, you know, the producer. And they would go driving around and then he'd go to the next airport, drop him off. Like, that's literally how he did his business. That's super cool. Super cool. <laughs> and just so, like, down to earth and, like, who does that as an actor? You know, like, who does that? Um, but he winds up in a trailer park on an Indian reservation and he actually becomes friends with the people there. Um, and they even end up protecting him from the paparazzi and <laughs> they give him a parting gift that is kind of a, a gift that lets them know that lets him know that he's a part of their tribe. And that was super cool mm-hmm. because again, you know, like this guy just, he lives what he lives. Like he doesn't, he doesn't say one thing and do another, you know, like when he talks about, you know, being, you know, anti-racist and all these things that he was talking about earlier in those little quotes, like he lived this, he lived with other races. He lived with other, you know, groups of people, like whether it was at catfish station or whether it was here, you know, and it wasn't ever about race. You know, he literally became, you know, sort of part of these people's tribes. Yeah. And yeah, he really does. Um, and so, you know, it kind of brings up that question of like, how do we manage taking risks while also still being responsible? I think responsible responsibility is all relative. Yeah. Okay. And one person's responsible is another person's um, uh, irresponsibility. Sure. And I also think it's really important for us to get it really close to our beliefs 
because our beliefs are generally what keep us from moving forward in so many situations. And um, this belief of the, the belief that you just said, we need to be responsible mm -hmm. because how do we balance that with taking risks as if we have to be responsible? Who said? Yeah. You know, I mean, and what does that mean anyway? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think that I, that word responsible just kind of triggers me a little bit because it, I think it can be very limiting for people um, because they have a belief of what responsibility is and it could, and, and it could, it's probably what they were taught. Yeah. It's not really what they feel. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, so like, you know, as he's sort of a part of this tribe, you know, it, it kind of reminds me that like you, so like one of the things that Amy and I are kind of, I'm actually kind of helping Amy with some of her work stuff, um, with her tribe stuff. And so, um, talk about what you're, so like, what, what are you hoping to do and accomplish with your stuff? So talk, tell us first, what is it called? Um, well, right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's really funny because we've changed this like five times, but, and it so, might change again, no, but I really like the name. Yeah. I think we might stick with it. It's called, um, Rhythms and Rasa and Rasa is, um, in, in, in Ayurveda, Rasa represents like taste, taste and, and flavor and flavor and like taste of life and juice of life and, um, and then rhythms, uh, we use the word rhythms because Ayurveda is all about like connecting with, like I said earlier, rhythms of nature, rhythms of ourselves, and letting that kind of be the framework for how we live. Um, and so, so I, I just, I feel like Ayurveda is a hidden gem and I want to share it with the world and I want to help you know, the way I have health coached has been very traditional up to this point. I mean, pretty traditional. And, um, you know, we talked about calories, we talked about protein and all that stuff. And I'm just so tired of that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody else is too. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to offer a different perspective. Um, and I'm a big lover of nature. To me, nature brings me life. And you don't have to live in Colorado to connect with nature. You don't even have to go outside. You can <laughs> connect with nature because we are natural beings. And um, and so, uh, um, so I wanted I wanted um, help people learn about this, and I want to do it in a community environment. So the, there's going to be a big community component to it. Awesome. And so hopefully. <laughs> Our goal is to have this launch by when? August? Um, fall. Okay, we're going to say fall. Yeah. But um, for sure, I'm going to be posting stuff about it. Um, I, seriously, if you are interested in wanting to change your life, this is the opportunity for sure. Thank you. Yes, it is. Um, so, well, to kind of close, so kind of close out this chapter, um, the last little anecdote is that he talks about how he goes to Montana um, at a trailer park where people start, you know, they're recognizing him and he kind of obliges their company and without being a celebrity, you know, he kind of, he, he chaps them up and um, he actually chats up a couple who's been married a long time and has established roots in a family. And that is kind of the thing that, so that clearly sort of moves him because after three years of that trailer parking, he was ready to settle down at that point. And so it, it almost kind of seems like that couple 
was basically like the trigger. He was there in that moment, you know, experiencing that moment with that, with that couple. And then that was the trigger that led him to realize like, okay, I think I need to do something else now. I think I need to, to settle down. So speaking of settling, <laughs> you settled in Colorado. How many years ago? Um, in May, it'll be five. Five years. Okay. So why did you decide you wanted to move to Colorado? Because I never, first of all, I never fit in Texas. <laughs> We've talked about that a lot. I, I just always felt, I mean, listen to me. I don't even, I have no accent. <laughs> um, and second of all, Colorado, uh, what my dad, well, I started going to Colorado to ski like you did. Mm -hmm. That's what we did in high school yeah. for spring break. You would go skiing and, um, you know, I liked it then, but then when I graduated, my dad and I did a two week trip through, uh, Colorado and Utah oh. and we, it was a road trip and I, was completely enamored. Oh, so that was way back then. Yeah. Wow. During, yeah, the summer in Colorado is what I fell in love with. And so I've um, just been coming back ever since. And Pat and I um, felt like our values were more um, aligned with the Colorado way of living than Texas. And we just decided let's make it happen before the kids get, you know, too old to where it's really painful to move in. Yeah. And so that's what we did. Yeah. Never look back. And I come and visit every chance I get because <laughs> I'm ready to move here myself. <laughs> and so like, well, Amy said a minute ago that you don't have to move to Colorado to be close to nature <laughs> and you really don't, but I really do. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't have to, but I, I just genuinely, it really is. Yeah. And like she took me snowshoeing the other day. And we were only out for an hour and, but it was, it was just, it was just great. It was just so good to be outside and, and just like being in Texas. I like, I like being outside and it's easier to be outside because it's, you know, not snowy and, and all that, but I just, I don't know. I, I just, every time I come back, I'm, I don't want to leave. Well, and I think the people, because it is more conducive to being outside and doing like just all the things you want to do outside. The people are different. They are. It's in Texas. It's not conducive to being outside unless it's the summer and you're in your swimming pool. Right. Or, or you're by a beach because if you're not you're, by a beach yeah. <laughs> or you're hardcore and you're, you're year round runner or yeah. year round cyclist, but it doesn't, it's not conducive to being outside a lot. Right. I mean, and it's just, I'm, I'm leaving what am I leaving? Friday. I'm leaving Friday. But I am going to skiing tomorrow and I'm super excited. <laughs> um, so I feel like I've gotten the full Colorado experience winter between. Experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Summer and winter. So I got yeah. summer and winter. So I'm good. I'm ready to move. <laughs> do it. Do it. Green light. <laughs> green light. Okay. Well, speaking of green light, that kind of wraps it up for this episode. It was actually a lot longer, but I hope you really enjoyed it because it was good stuff. Um, and so I'm definitely going to be posting lots of stuff about uh, Rhythms and Rasa. Um, so you definitely need to check that out and yeah. Thank you so much, Amy, thank for doing you. this. This was awesome. I loved it so much. Yeah, thank you fun. so much. Yeah. And thank you guys. And we will see you next time for the next parts of the book. Bye.